Very good. We're going to go to the book of Colossians this, this morning. Colossians in chapter number one in your New Testament, the book of Colossians and chapter number one. Colossians chapter number Colossians chapter number 1. Now look it down at verse number 9. We'll begin our reading there. Colossians chapter number 1 and verse number 9. The Bible says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist." And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unprovable in his sight. If you'll leave your Bible open there, we're going to look at these verses or some of them as we go through the message. And I've titled the message, What is Keeping Your Eyes Off of Jesus? Boy, oh boy. Let's pray. We'll get going. Father, we are very thankful, Lord, to be in this place today and that you're a God that wants to meet with us. And that's exactly what we want. We want you to meet with us. We want you to do the things in people's hearts that only you can do. And Lord, we pray for power as we preach this word, Lord, that, that, that design, that, that, that favor that comes from you that helps us to relay uh, to others, uh, what your word says. We need that this morning. Clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Um, and just uh, um, just the help that we need to deliver this message the way that you would have it done. And I, again, pray, uh, Lord, for those in this room. Uh, Lord, we, we ask that you would speak to hearts, those watching by live stream. Uh, Lord, that you do the work that can only be done by you. Help us now, we pray, please, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for standing and do be seated. <clears throat> if you were to take a good look at Leonardo da Vinci's famous painting of the Last Supper, you would notice that the hands of Jesus are empty. Uh, the left hand actually rests on the table with the palm upward, um, and uh, his right arm is fully extended over the table. And, and, and if you see it, the, the, the palm is downward. Uh, the, the fingers are slightly cupped. And it, it looks like Jesus is reaching for something in, in, that, in that painting. But the spot over which his extended hand is hovering, that spot's empty. There's nothing, there's nothing there. 
You know, Da Vinci dedicated three years of his life to that painting uh, of the Last Supper. And he determined beforehand that it would be his, his crowning work, if you will, his famous work of art. And when it was finished, when he finally finished it, he decided to show it to a friend to get his opinion uh, of the painting before he unveiled it in the public. And when he unveiled it for his friend, um, the man looked it over in awe. I mean, he, I mean, certainly a beautiful painting. And then this friend pronounced it a masterpiece. What a masterpiece. Um, as he praised Da Vinci for the work that he had done in this painting, <clears throat> excuse me, his attention was drawn to a very beautiful uh, cup that the Lord was going for, his right hand was going for, and he began to speak of this cup's magnificent beauty, how, how beautiful this, this cup was. And to that friend, that man's astonishment, Da Vinci grabbed up his brush and his palette and began to paint out the cup. He began to cover it up and paint it out. And the man, I mean, he was just like, what in the world are you, what, 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 what are you doing? And here's what Da Vinci said, nothing, nothing must distract from the figure of Christ. Nothing. My friends, when Christ has the preeminence, nothing in our lives distracts from the person of Christ. He is number one. Nothing in our lives is given greater significance than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to think about the preeminence of Christ this morning. And, and as we do that, let's, let's, start with a, let's start with a definition. In Webster's Dictionary, this word preeminence consists of two parts. Of course, pre, a prefix meaning before, and then eminence, it's a noun. And this noun means elevation. It means a summit, a highest part. Uh, it means an elevated situation, uh, which results in exalt, uh, exaltation, uh, high rank, uh, distinction, uh, preferment, or uh, conspicuousness. So if something has eminence in someone's life, it means that it's placed in an elevated situation. Uh, it is of high rank. It is of uh, distinction. It is of preferment or conspicuousness. So to have preeminence then is to be placed before anything else that might be regarded as having an elevated uh, situation. Okay, eminence, high rank, distinction, preferment, conspicuousness, preeminence. Then it's, then it's to be placed before anything else that's to be regarded as having an elevated situation. Um, it takes precedence. It's given a priority, a priority of place. It is considered uh, superior in rank or dignity. So the first thing that we must ask ourselves then what is it that we give eminence to in our life? What is it that you and I give eminence to in our lives? Or to, to, to what do we give a place, get, get this now, to what do we give a place of distinction? To what do we give a place or who do we give a place of preferment or conspicuousness in our lives? Okay, in other words, when, when others look at our lives, um, it... it what would they say that's important to us? When others look at our lives, what would they say that's important to us? And, and look, it, it might be a husband or a wife, and it should be that way. Definitely, definitely so if you're married, uh, you know, that uh, your wife should have that place of importance. Your husband should have that place of importance. Certainly our spouse ought to have a place of preferment. Our spouse ought to have a place of conspicuousness in our lives. Sure. Uh, it might be children. 
our children. And, and, and though I think that a lot of people have a misplaced sense of importance when it comes to their children, oh, what do you mean when you say that? Well, I really think a, a lot of people spend way too much money making sure that kids have the latest toys or, or they put an excessive amount of time into ensuring that they can be evolved in certain activities along the way, all these different things. I mean, we have to be careful about that. But at the very same time, our love and our care for our children ought to be conspicuous. People ought to know that we care about our kids. We're trying to raise them in a nurture and an admonition of the Lord and take care of them the best that we can. Or with some others, it might be their job, you know, or, or a hobby or, or a sport. Really any number of things. And, and, and there isn't necessarily anything wrong with any of that. Stay with me here. There really isn't necessarily anything wrong with any of that. However, what God is saying is this. Um, we may give eminence, uh, whatever we may give eminence to in our lives, whatever we give a place of preferment or conspicuousness or distinction in our lives, Jesus ought to come before that, whatever it might be. <clears throat> if Miss Pam and I, I know you're watching, if Miss Pam and I make it to August the 18th, we will have been buried for 44 years. Hallelujah. I'm very thankful about that, absolutely. But years ago, we decided that with each other, that we would be number two. She's number two in my life. I'm number two in her life. The Lord is number one. We keep Him number one. And as we keep it that way, He keeps our eyes on each other. I'm very, very thankful for that. He, 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 he does. Nothing should, be, uh, nothing should come before Jesus in our lives. Okay, I'll say it again. It is the will of God that all things, in all things, He might have the preeminence. He might have the preeminence. You know, you say, well, good grief, preacher. It's not like we can be in church all the time. Isn't that a shame? Okay, y'all didn't get anything from that at all. <laughs> Isn't that a shame? Anyway, I love to come to church. No, no, no. And we can't be in church all the time. I understand. I mean, we have jobs. We have lives. We have, we have, we have a lot of things to take care of. I, I understand all of that. But no, no, no. We can still live in such a way that he's number one. Wherever we might be, whoever we might be with, wherever we might go, he is to be number one in our life. And that helps us in all the rest of our Christianity, walking with Christ. It helps us because certainly, you know, we want people to think that we love Him. Oh, come on. If, if you've been born again by the Spirit of God, if you've truly trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you want people to know that He is very, very, very important in your life. Come on. I mean, certainly. He saved your soul. Come on. You trusted Him as your personal Savior. I mean, He shed His blood that you might have pardon from sin. He shed His blood that you could be saved, that you wouldn't have to spend an eternity in hell. I'm telling you, once you have trusted Him as your personal Savior, He ought to have the preeminence. He needs to have the preeminence. That keeps us going. That keeps us headed in the right direction. That keeps us from making the very many mistakes that we can make along the way. And I'm not saying that we might not trip or stumble along the path. I'm not saying that we're not going to make some mistakes along the path. But if He has preeminence, if He is the most important thing in our life, it's going to work out a lot better, isn't it? Sure, sure it is. Now, now, I'm not making this up. We read it, and we're going to look at it just a little bit more. It is, it is God's will. And I believe that we can see in, this, uh, in these verses we looked at three reasons, three reasons why we should, why we ought to give Jesus preeminence in our lives. So let's start with this one, the provision of His grace. Look at verse number 12. Verse 12. Um, giving thanks unto the Father... Which made, us to, uh, which made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sin. So the Apostle Paul thanks God for three things here that he received, that we received, excuse me, as a result of God's grace in our lives. First off, we see in verse number 12 that he received us into his family. Okay, I'll say it this way. I'm a child of the king. 
Absolutely. No, when I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, at that point, get this please, at that point, God became my Heavenly Father. He is my Heavenly Father. He is Abba Father. He's my Papa. He's my Daddy. I mean, I can go to Him. He's always there for me. always will be there for me. And there are all kinds of things that we could say about this, but I want us to focus a little bit on this word meat there in, uh, in verse number 12. Um, meat. As an act of grace, God made us meat. He made us meat. Well, what's that all about? Well, He made us fit. He made us qualified. He made us uh, eligible to be a part of His family. He did that. And, and thus a partaker of the inheritance reserved for us um, that are His children. Do you know why we who are saved get to go to heaven? You know why we who are saved that have, been, have trusted Christ? You know why we get to get, go to heaven? Or why we get to be a part of God's family? I'm going to tell you this for a fact. It's not because there's something good in us. It's not because we've done a good, enough good works. It's not because we joined some church. It's not because we've been baptized. It's not because we've partaken of the Lord's Supper. No, 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 no. It's none of those things. No, 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 no. In, 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 in our natural state, in our natural state, we are not meat. We are not fit to step one foot into heaven. Not at all. We, don't, we do not deserve to be a part of God's family because we are all sinners. We're all sinners. And we're either lost sinners on our way to hell because of never receiving Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, uh, or we are saved sinners who should be trying certainly to do our best to live a life that's pleasing unto Him because we are giving Him preeminence in our life. If we are saved, if you're sitting here this morning and you've trusted Christ and you're saved by the grace of God, it is solely and completely by the grace of God. It's nothing to do. But also this, he has released us from the devil's clutches, from Satan's clutches. Verse number 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So the power of darkness is the power that Satan exercises uh, in our lives through, get this now, through sin. Right. Exercises in our life through sin. And I don't believe I need to belabor this point. We know that uh, Satan exercises great power over the lives of people. We know he came to kill and to steal and to destroy. And he's doing a good job of it around our world, isn't he? Yes, very, very busy doing those things. Because he keeps people bound up in sins. They're bound in sins. I'm talking about like sins of the heart. Like what, preacher? The bitterness, hatred, envy, jelly, uh, jelly, jelly, not grape jelly, not strawberry jelly. I'm sorry. Jealousy. I'm sorry. I told you I was tired. I told you I was tired. Uh, let me start that over. Bitterness, hatred, jealousy. I knew that I could get it out if I really tried. Unforgiveness. No, no. Sins of the heart. Stay with me here. Sins of the heart. Uh, but also outward sins. No, he keeps us bound up in sin. Sins of the heart is a big one because you can sit in, you can sit in church and be very uh, full of unforgiveness, can't you? And bitterness and hatred and all anger and all those things go on, sure. But outward sins also keeps us bound up. And you, you can't, I don't think that you'd argue with me about this. You know, outward sins like alcohol, drugs, pornography, uh, gambling, uh, tobacco, fornication, adultery, and the list goes on and on and on and on. But they're out there, aren't they? I mean, it's all over. You can't deny that. It's all over the place. Because he keeps people blinded to the truth. At the age of 27, April 1984, I trusted Christ as my Savior, and he opened my eyes to the truth. Before that time, I'd lived a real unbridled life of wickedness and drugs and alcohol and so many different things. And I got saved by the grace of God. And it was like, man, how come I've never seen this before? How come I've never understood this before? How, 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 come, I, how come I never understood all these different things were so wicked and, and that I shouldn't have been partaking in this and that? No, he opened my eyes to that. I mean, it's like the scales fell off and all of a sudden I was not blinded anymore. I saw the truth of the Word of God. And, and really, no, no, no. I, I'm telling you, this, this blindness, that would be the condition of everybody sitting in this room right now if it wasn't for the saving grace of God. 
It is God that does that for us. It is God that does that when we trust Christ is our Savior. Thank God that once we get saved, we are placed into Christ's kingdom. And our eyes have been opened to the truth of our own sins. Our own sins. Our own sins. And the Holy Ghost of God works to help us overcome those, doesn't he? Working in our life. Working in our heart. And at that point, when we truly get saved, Satan doesn't anymore have authority over our lives. I mean, as saved people in Christ's kingdom, Jesus is the only Lord that we must obey. He's the only one. We're not bound up like that anymore. But I like this one too, because he has redeemed us from our guilt. Oh, verse number 14 there. In whom we have redemption through through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. (laughs) I think some of the sweetest words we could ever hear from God is this. I forgive all of your sins. I forgive all of your sins. And by the way, only God can do that. Only God can do that. It's a wonderful thing. And the truth of the matter is that before we were saved, get this please, before we were saved, uh, we were so dead in sin that only God could make us alive. Only he could do that. And we were so blind that only God could make us see. And we were so filthy that only God could make us clean. And we were so helpless that only God could rescue us. And we were so lost that only God could save us. And we were so sinful that only Jesus could forgive us. That's where we were. So why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we want to give him the place of preeminence in our life after he has done so much for us? But also we see here in this portion of Scripture that we see his place, Jesus' place in God's plan. Uh, Look at verse number 15. It says, uh, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. So Jesus, get this now, Jesus, he is the image of God. Now we know this, God the Father himself exists as a spirit. He's a spirit. He, he's invisible. First Timothy chapter 6 verse 16 says this. Who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto whom no man hath seen nor can see. Talking about God the Father. Oh, he's very, very real. But he's a spirit. God is a spirit. The Holy Spirit, of course, is a spirit. Um, with Christ, our invisible God became visible. Right. Come on, he came down, took on the form of man. Oh, come on, come on. Do you remember when the disciples said, remember the disciples said, uh, uh, Lord, can you show us the Father? And he said, I've been with you all this time. And, and, and you, you've not figured it out yet that this is who I am? No, no, no. He came down so that we might, that we might know. God took on human flesh so that we could learn what he was like. So the truth is, this, is that No, no, the truth is that, please get this, the truth is that if you're rejecting Jesus, you're rejecting God. He is and was and always will be God. He is God the Son. Come on, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We have a triune God, absolutely. And He, He performed the work of creation. Verse number 16 there. Um, For by Him were all things created. That are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. So he performed the work of creation. You know, one of the most important questions facing our generation is this. Please get this. Is this. Are human beings simply the product of millions of years of mindless evolutionary mutations and adaptations? Or are we the creation of an infinitely wise, powerful, and loving God? No, it's a very important question. Come on, there's way too many people that have bought into this evolutionary process that never happened. I don't mind saying it. No, 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 no. It was God. God. No, no, the answer to this question is very, very critical. Why would you say that, Pastor? Because it determines our attitude towards God. It determines our attitude toward the Bible. It it determines our attitude uh, 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 between what is right and what is wrong. And so, very much more. The debate over human origin is one of the most critical issues of our times. 
But it's answered at the very beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was God that created man and everything else that we see. It's God did that. God was the only one that could have ever did that. And beyond that, his power continues to hold everything together. Everything together. Look at verse number 17 there. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Now think about this for just a minute with me, if you will. One of the great mysteries of science, of science, is what holds the atom together. You know, all the little atoms that are in the world. You you know, the atom bomb, that when they split the atom, you know. So, one of the biggest mysteries really is what holds the atom together. And there's a physicist by the name of uh, George Gamow. And he's one of the authors of the authors of the Big Bang Theory. And he wrote this. He said, we live in a world in which practically every object is a potential nuclear explosive. Because we're all created. I mean, we have all these atoms. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Well, preacher, my wife can be pretty explosive at times. I understand it's really... Okay, the women didn't think that was funny at all, did they? But anyway, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Get back on track, Marshall. Okay, another physicist uh, by the name of Charles Darrow, uh, 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 he, he, he was talking about the atom also, and he said, he said this. They should never... Talking about atoms, they should never have been created. And if created, they should have blown up instantly. Yet they are some inflexible inhibition. Uh, yet they are some inflexible inhibition is holding them relentlessly together. Okay. Here's here's bottom line. The evolutionists have no answer to the mystery of what holds an atom together. But a Bible believer does. No, no, no. We know. Well, how do we know? Because it says right there, and by him all things consist. He holds it all together. He created it all, and he holds it all together. Our great God, absolutely. All things consist, all things are held together by the inflexible, almighty power of Jesus Christ. So let's get down on, more down on our level, okay? Because I'm not a big science guru. Let's get down. So uh, let's think about his position in the church, verse number 17. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. Verse number 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. It was the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. That in all things, he might have the preeminence. So we need to get this. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, he's the head of the church. He's the head of the church. Well, well, preacher, I thought you were head of the church. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't even want to be the head of the church. He's the head of the church. He's the head of the church. And, I, and, and, and as the pastor, uh, under shepherd, I, I'm just trying to get my marching orders from him, get things out of the Bible that I'm supposed to give to you, and then trust that God can do the work in your heart and your life that only he can do. No, 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 no. He's the head of the church. I'm not the head of the church. Okay. A two-headed anything's a monstrosity. He's the head of the church. I'm not the head of the church. I'm just the under shepherd, the one that's appointed to try to direct you in a way that God would have you to go. So the Apostle Paul is telling us the reason why Jesus has the place in God's plan that he does is that he might have the preeminence in all things. That Jesus might have the preeminence in all things. Come on, okay. Jesus, Jesus Christ started the church when he was here on earth. He started the church. He gathered people together. He gathered his disciples together. And he started the church. And the Bible says that he purchased it with his own blood. So it's got to be important. uh, No doubt about that. Um, But it is so that he might have their preeminence in all things. That he might have their preeminence in your plans. That he might have their preeminence... In your life. I'm saying this. God the Father has placed nothing ahead of the Son in any of His plans. So should we set anything ahead of the Son of God in our plans? 
I tell you, at times, and I don't want to take too long of a time out here because lunchtime's getting close, but there are times, truly, that I wish that I lived in the age that we didn't have television or radio or internet or even newspapers or magazines. No, no, there are times that I wish, I'm just saying, there's times that I wish that I lived in such a time that we didn't have all of that instant communication, telephones. There's times that I wish that we didn't have any of that. And here's the reason why. I've got books in my library that were written way before we had any of that stuff. And they were written by men that were dedicated to God, to follow God, to study the Bible, to study the Word of God. And it really is truly amazing when you read after them the things that they get out of here. Now, I've got all types of commentaries in my, in my library. I've got a huge library. And I've got all types of com- commentaries. I've got some from, 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 from some men that are still living, that they've done a pretty good job of, of explaining some things in the Bible. I'm thankful for all of that. But I'm telling you, you get back in those old commentaries, 1500s, 1600s, things like that, man alive. They must have spent so much time in this book. Come on, stay with me here. And praying. Come on, searching the scriptures, asking God, Lord, just show me. Open this up to me as only you can open it up to me. Uh, I'm telling you, no, no, no. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, This is an amazing book. Uh, I'm talking about this old King James Bible. This is an amazing, amazing book. Absolutely amazing. And I do know that the more time we spend in it and praying over it and meditating on it and all, I know that it becomes more real and more real. And I know this for sure that in my 38 years now being saved, that as I continue to read it, that it never grows old, that God continues to show me more and more and more out of his wonderful word. And one of the things that I have come to understand is that if I keep him first, if he's number one, that my life goes a whole lot better. That's right. Yep. And that he opens my eyes continually to the things that would harm me or that would harm the people around me. Come on, I'm not saying I'm some 15, 1600 Bible scholar like they were. I'm saying I wish that I didn't have all those distractions so that I might even spend more time in this wonderful, wonderful book that he might even show me more than what he has thus far. I'm going to continue to try. I'm going to continue to do my best. I want to study it. I want to pray over it. I want to meditate on it. I want God to show me things that only God can show me. Absolutely so. But here's the thing about that. It, 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 mm, that's not only for preachers. That's not only for guys that stand behind pulpits and try to expound upon the Word of God. It should be for every believer. And so what we have to do, we have to determine that He will have the preeminence. That means that we're going to put Him first and we're going to put His Word first, the truth of the Word of God, that we might learn that, how come preacher, so that we can apply it to our life, so that our life will be better for Him, that we'll live life that's more pleasing unto him that we won't fall into the traps the snares of the devil that have ruined so many people come on that have ruined so many lives i mean that that continue to destroy homes and marriages continue to destroy the children of our world don't they come on stay with me here i'm telling you when we put him first when we are seeking what he has for us i mean we should not set anything ahead of the son of god in our plan and we can know what God wants us to do as we continue to learn more about his word true but the third thing I believe that we can see here in this portion of scripture is the power of his cross look at verse number 20 we're doing great here look at verse 20 it says and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Now, in the preceding, in the preceding verses here, the Apostle Paul has set before us the deity of Christ. 
Jesus Christ is the very begotten Son of God. Jesus Christ is God the Son. Come on, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus deserves preeminence because of who he is. Just because of who he is. We looked at that. In these verses, Paul sets before us the death of Christ. So Jesus deserves preeminence in our lives because of what he has done for us. Come on, he deserves preeminence just because of who he is. But he also deserves preeminence because of what he has done for us. For us. <clears throat> he made peace between us and God. Verse number 21. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Talking about, talking about those that have trusted Christ as their Savior. He made peace between us and God through the blood of the cross. Through the offering of his blood on the cross for our sins, he removed the, the offense that stood between God and us and made it possible for a holy God and sinful man to be reconciled. To be brought together in peace. It was him that did that. Him. No, no, okay. Jesus came, born of a virgin, lived a perfect sinless life, started his ministry, and ended up nailed to an old rugged cross. And he shed his blood for the sins of mankind. Jesus came to this earth to die for our sins. If we could just be good enough, if we could join enough churches, if we could, be, if we could just, just be baptized and, and make it, why did Jesus ever have to die? And it was the shedding of His pure blood. The shedding of His pure blood. He wasn't a sinner like you and I. Then it was the shedding of his pure blood on that cross that paid our sin debt. He gave up the ghost and died. He laid in a tomb for three days and three nights. But after that, he raised from the dead by his own power. He's the only one that ever did that. Only one that ever did that. Well, there are other people who are raised from the dead. Right, but not by their own power. He was the only one that's ever been raised from the dead by his own power. To prove who he was. God the Son. Okay. There's some people that try to keep him on the cross, but he's not on the cross anymore. No, 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 no. He came down from the cross. And he rose again. And he ascended to the Father where he sits even at his right hand now. And if people are willing to repent, that's a good Bible word, repentance toward God. If they're willing to repent and put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us. What he did for us. Repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, repentance. No, no, it, it's a turning of the heart. It's a making a decision. I want to live for God. I want what God has to offer. I don't want to die in my sins. I know I need my sins forgiven. I want to live a different life. Come on. It's a, it's a turning of the heart. Come on. It's not cleaning up your life to come to God. All those years ago, I did not clean up my life and come to, come to God. I came to God just the way that I was. And he saved my soul. And then he started working to clean up my life. Yeah, But it's offered freely to whosoever will. He paid the price for that. He did all of that. No, no, no. You understand, right? The way that he suffered, they took him, they beat him. 
They tied him to a whipping post and beat him and beat him and beat him until most, most Bible commentators say probably the bones of his back were exposed. And they beat him unmercifully. They plaited a crown of thorns, put that upon his head, beat that down with the reed while they spit upon him, mocked him, ridiculed him, cussed him. He did not deserve any of that. You know who deserved that? Me. You know who deserved that? You. Because we are sinners. Why? It ain't like I never killed anybody. I know, but you've not kept all the Ten Commandments either, have you? And God gave us those just to show us we are sinners. That we do need a Savior. Absolutely so. No, 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 man. And they didn't even stop there after that. I'm, no, no, they beat him. They mocked him. All of that, put, a, put that cross upon his back, marched him through the streets of Jerusalem up to the hill called Calvary. All that time, people were spitting on him and cussing him. I mean, mocking him, ridiculing him, making fun of him, pulling out his beard is what the Bible says. They were pulling out his beard. That, the man never did anything to deserve any of that. He did that for you and me. No, he suffered all of that for you and me. He laid down on that cross. No man forced him. He didn't have to force him. He allowed them. I mean, without any struggle, any fight, he allowed them to beat those nails through his hands and his feet. Because he knew. No, no, please look up here. He knew. Without his sacrifice, we were all on our way to hell. Yeah. And he did all that for us. He went through all of that for us. And he made us presentable to God. He did that. Sure, verse number 22. Uh, it says, verse 21, And you that were sometime alienated, the enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you that had been saved, holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Look, I know this for a fact. Stay with me. I know this for a fact. I don't deserve any of the goodness that God has showed me. I'm just talking about me now. Don't, don't, get, don't get mad. I'm just talking about me. I don't deserve any of the, God, uh, the goodness that God has showed me. I deserve nothing. I, I really, I deserve absolutely None of the goodness that God has showed me, much less being unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, and because I put my faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross all those years ago, I have been made unblameable and unreprovable in the sight of God. Not because of anything that I've done, but because of everything that he has done. Just because I put my faith and trust in him that day he saved my soul just like that. I mean, just like that. Just like that. If you're saved one day, you will be presented to God. You will stand before God. And in his sight, you will be holy and unblameable and unreprovable. No, I'm talking about holy without one remaining speck of filth of sin upon our lives. And unblameable without any faults or any failures or any flaws remaining in our character. And unreprovable without... Uh, uh, with all the facts that could once be held against us, completely erased by the blood of Christ, never to be brought up again. I don't know about you, but I sure am glad about that. Because I know me. And I know my past. And I'm glad it's all gone. So thankful. And that's why we are to give Jesus preeminence. And that's why as we grow, please get this, as we grow, we strive to see that nothing ever comes before Jesus in our lives, that he takes priority over everything. Over everything. Well, let me tell you something, preacher. Well, hurry, because it is lunchtime now. 
well, I don't have to listen to stuff like that because I can go down. I can go to this church down the road, and they, they don't. They, I can just live whatever I want to, and I'll be fine. It's going to be fine, you know, because they don't. They don't. They don't talk about all that stuff like that. They don't. I can go down. Look, 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 look. Wait, 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 wait. I'm not. Look, I'm not. <laughs> all I'm doing is telling you what the Bible says. And any preacher that won't stand up and declare exactly what the Bible says isn't much of a preacher. I'm not trying to build myself up in that. Don't, give, don't, don't even think that. But truly, it's our responsibility if God has given us the position to tell you everything God has to say. And this isn't a fairy tale. This is all very real. This is the truth of God. The truth of God's Word. It's the truth. And mercy, my heart's desire, because I have been saved by the grace of God, is for others to be saved by the grace of God. I don't want anybody to have to go to hell. I would like to think that everybody would have their sins forgiven. He should have the preeminence. If we have been saved, if you have been saved, He should take priority over everything in your life. And boy, I tell you, it makes for a much better life when it happens. The song says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So let me ask this question. Is Jesus your personal Savior? You're the only one that can answer that. Only you and God know for sure. Understand that. You're trying to judge me? Oh, no, no, no. We have a judge. We have a judge. But is Jesus Christ your personal Savior? No, do you truly know that you put your faith and trust in Him? I mean, you wanted, that, you wanted what He had to offer? Well, let me say it this way. Are you prepared to stand before God one day? Because we will all stand before God one day. And we'll give an answer. I, no, no, I, and I doubt that this is going to be the question, but what if he looked at you and said, why should I let you into my heaven? Because it is his. And I can guarantee you at that point, your good works, not the right answer. Oh, but I was baptized, not the right answer. Uh, but I joined the church, not the right answer. No. The only answer that's going to get you there is, I trusted Jesus Christ in the blood that was shed for me that time for forgiveness of my sin. I turned my heart to you and I trusted Christ. Only thing that gets there. Are you prepared to stand before Him one day? And if not, if not, we, we'd love a chance to show you how you can know for sure that you have that all settled. Love a chance to sit down and talk with you about that. You could get it settled today. It's a fact. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we'd love a chance to help you with that. But the main thing is that you get it settled before you ever take your last breath. Because when the last breath is taken, we're going one or two places. There's no third choice. There's no third choice. We will either be in heaven for eternity or we're going to be in a very real place called hell for eternity. There's no third choice. But I've heard people say, let me just stop it right there because we're going to need to move on. I'm telling you, you can study this Bible from back to front and I promise you, you'll not find a third choice. It's not in here. Not at all. We need to know that we know that we have trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. We need to know that we know that before we ever take our last breath. And if you don't know that, boy, today would be a good day to get that all settled for sure. Absolutely. Would you bow your heads with me? Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Thank you for being so patient this morning. Thank you for being so attentive. Much appreciated.
it might be that you're sitting there and you'd say, Preacher, I, I don't know if I've even heard all this stuff before, but I guarantee you in my heart, I don't know if I'm ready to meet God. I don't know what I'd say to him. I don't know what I would say to him if I was asked that question. I, in my heart, I, I'm just not sure at all I'm ready to meet God. Preacher, would you just please remember me in prayer? Boy, I'd like to. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Would you allow me just to pray for you? Just to pray for you, I'd like to do that. Just slip your hand up wherever you're at. I'll acknowledge it. We'll move along. Not going to point you out. Not going to come get you. None of those things. I'd just like to pray for you. God bless you there. Yeah. Yeah. Others. Yeah. Preacher. I just don't know that I have that settled. I don't know what I would say. Others. Would you just allow me to pray for you? God bless you. It's important. Most important thing we'll ever do before we leave this life. Maybe God spoke to your heart this morning and you would have to say, Preacher, the Lord doesn't have preeminence in my life, but I want to work toward getting it. God dealt with me that way this morning. Would you please just pray for me that I'll just let God have His way? I want to pray for you like that. God spoke to your heart this morning. Would you slip your hand up? Let me pray for you like that. God bless you there, 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 back there. God bless you there, there. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Appreciate it very much. You may put your hands down. Let's all stand to our feet with our heads bowed. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the ones that have already come to the altar. Lord, to talk to you about the things that only you have answers for. And I pray for those in here that do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I pray that you'd continue to work in their hearts and lives. Draw them to yourself. Convince them. Convict them. Lord, Lord, I can't save them. Only you can save them. But you will if they'll turn to you. Trust what Jesus did for them. I pray you'd continue to work in their hearts and lives. Bring them to that place of saving grace. And Lord, for those that, uh, well, you've spoken to their hearts about Jesus having preeminence in their life. I pray for them, Lord. I pray you'd give them grace and strength, show them mercy, and help them, Lord, to be determined to give him first place in everything they say, everything they do, everywhere they go. Bless this time of invitation. Give people help. We just need your help. Thank you for your goodness. We ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks are praying. There's still time for you. You need to come this morning. Just let God have his way. Whatever he wants to do. Will not take long. But you know you need to talk with the Lord. Would you come this morning? Just let him have his way.